Welcome to the Work-Life Brilliance Podcast with executive coach and best-selling author, Denise Renee Green. Denise fills each episode with humor, compassion, knowledge, and pragmatism to help you transform your life. Listen in and learn how you can tame your brain, lower your stress, and become the person you were born to be. Hello, my friend, and welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me on this very, very important topic, the topic of play. I think play has a PR problem. Play is serious business, and that's why this is a continuation of our series on overwhelm. So what does play have to do with overwhelm? It is an antidote to overwhelm, and it is a friend of productivity. Now, you probably know this already through your own experience, but I just want to make sure that you not only understand how important play is, but you actually start to incorporate it more into your life instead of making it ancillary or non-existent in your life. And play is closely related to two other friends of productivity and enemies of overwhelm, and those are pulse And pulse is that oscillation between activity and rest and renewal, that back and forth. We can't be all work all the time. And play is a way of doing work with rest and renewal embedded in it. It's kind of magical in that way. And the connection to presence. When we play, we are fully immersed in an activity. When we're at our best, we are fully focused It's like that sense of flow. Flow is this immersion in an activity that usually uses our strengths and has us growing and creating. So no guarantee we're going to be creating. We're going to be creating something when we play, even if that something is positive, feel-good neurotransmitters in our body. But we're going to talk about a lot of the other things that we create when we play and that we only create when we play. So it's so vital to talk about this, and I think it's perfect timing, because today marks the one-week point that I have been back from our trip, my daughter and my trip to Cancun, where, man, we mastered pulse, presence, and play. It was like we had this intrinsic goal to make the most of those eight nights, seven and a half days, in Cancun, on the beach. Um, The weather made it easier for us (laughs) Um, because it was perfect. And we oscillated between activity and rest and complete presence. I still had to work at presence because even when I'm sitting there looking at the ocean, I'm thinking about what else could I be doing. So I really practiced being in one place at one time and trying not to count the days and the hours too much but really just be there and then reflect on how amazing each activity and each day was. So, but how do we do that in the real world? And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Vacations are important, but I don't know about you, they are rare for me. So I need to incorporate play into my daily life. And I want you to as well. So hopefully you know that play is not frivolous. It is not counter to productivity. It fosters it. So I don't know when the last time you had a belly laugh was, but we don't get enough of those. 
or even just giggles. Every day, I don't care what's going on, it needs to have a giggle. But you have to structure your day. You have to make it intentional because there is a lot going out in the world that is not giggle worthy. And if you are just constantly going uh, from activity to activity without being conscious of it, you are going to get mired in the muck because that is what our brain does. Your brain will have you reading news story after news story, going to meetings without being intentional about how you spend your time. So when we play, we are intrinsically motivated versus that carrot and stick kind of motivation, and we are present in our choices, not just, uh, you know, using some app on our phone because it's there and it's habitual. So this is not about playing on your phone. Um, while you might get some pleasure, some recreational pleasure and distraction from that, that is fostering a habit that is not going to serve you and you're not going to get the most out of it. And that's what I want you to do is get the most out of your playtime. So you can go and keep playing whatever games you want, but let's figure out how to make the most out of your free thinking time. So there is one word that is never uttered in my house, and that is boredom. My daughter never says she's bored. I never say I'm bored. If you don't say you're bored, do you say you're busy? Because boredom and busyness, neither one of those are going to serve you. Both are going to contribute to malaise and they're not going to help you be your best self. So I recently read an article that you may have heard about, about Silicon Valley people, parents, hiring consultants to help their kids be less bored and help their kids be less uh, addicted to technology. And what did these high-priced consultants do? Give their kids a ball. Yeah, send your kid outside with a ball. Let them figure it out. This is how far removed we have gotten from play. Hopefully that is an egregious example in your life, uh, but it's pretty common, so don't feel too bad if you can relate to that one. So how do we make play something that we do by nature and not necessarily something we have to pay somebody to do? I'm not against paying for something, somebody to do that for you if you need it. But there are things you can do on your own to just incorporate play into your daily life. One of the reasons I was never bored was that, I don't know, I came from a family of comedians. Uh, my grandmothers had such a quick wit and dark, dry sense of humor. Um, my grandfather was just this source of humor and joy constantly. I mean, even making light of the fact that he was 75% deaf, deaf in um Part of the reason he was so easy to laugh at being deaf was because he was so grateful for the fact that he was alive. His being deaf saved his life because he became deaf early on in the Korean War, just before a battle, a battle that was so serious that it would kill 90% of the men in that battle. And he turned out to not be in that battle because of his injury that he suffered right before. So humor helps us put things in perspective and make us feel grateful 
instead of focusing on scarcity. Um, and even today, my family is just nutty. I mean, my mom makes, nutty in a good way, my mom makes brownies every week for the trash people. They call her Miss Sugar. Um, at Christmas time, we um, tend to dress up in funny outfits, uh, funny hats anyways, and we get our family photo in funny hats. Um, we play dance party music. Um, we had a dance party with games, and we had to tie a Kleenex box around our waist with ping pong balls in it, and then I had to compete against my 10-year-old gymnast niece um, in a hip-hop contest, pretty much, to see who could get the most ping pong balls out in the shortest amount of time. So that's normal. Um, my dad and I have pool tournaments that turn out from best two out of three to best five out of seven. Um, he always wins, but it's still fun. And so that's kind of what my family does. So you can bring play into anything, whether it's a holiday or a dinner, whether it's your commute. Play helps you lower your stress. It helps you learn. Einstein said that play is the highest form of research. When you are playing, uh, it opens up your creative mind. You can be more innovative. Carl Jung said that creating something new is, the creation of something new is not created by the intellect, but by the play instinct. And that is because our intellect is actually using a narrow focus in our brain. And that's why you have the most creative ideas when you're not thinking about them, when you're in the shower or when you're taking a break or when you're on a run. And play helps us experiment, take creative risks. It helps us to feel like, hey, it's just play. I don't have to be perfect. So play and work, not only can they coexist, they have to coexist if you want to create great work. Play helps you develop positivity and shift from that negative bias that our brain has to gratitude and positivity. One last quote. No, you know what? I'm not even going to promise that it's going to be one last quote, but I love this one. In every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. You find the fun and snap the jobs a game. And that is from Mary Poppins, gamification pioneer. When you turn work into play, then you start to problem solve, you feel better about the work, things that were once chores now become games. And I think about my very hardworking ancestors, um, the ones I know about, and how they were farmers, and how to them this was a vocation, and this was a, a communication with the land and with the animals versus a chore. Play helps us cooperate. It helps us learn how to work with people different from us. It can help us drop that protective guard that we put up and build connections that will serve us in every part of our work and relationships. I was on a call this week with one of my groups and one of the clients was telling me about the team being completely burned out and overwhelmed. In this case, not by too much work, but from not enough work because there was no clarity. There was too much change, too much uncertainty, and they were just waiting and waiting for direction. And it was causing immense stress 
because they felt a complete lack of control and stagnation. And when they got their survey results from their uh, client, you know, employee satisfaction, the results, not surprisingly, sucked. And that was before this current stagnation. So just imagine how badly people are feeling right now. And he said that when leadership analyzed the survey results, they decided they were going to focus on building trust. Great. Well, I think they decided last year that they were going to focus on building trust too. So I said, okay, how are you going to go about it that's different this time? And he said they had no idea. I asked him if they had thought about play. Because when we don't trust, when we have uncertainty, our sympathetic nervous system is on high alert. That is the fight-flight system that releases stressful cortisol into our system. And we need to turn on the parasympathetic nervous system. And the system that regulates those two, as you may recall, is the vagus nerve, V-A-G-U-S nerve system that runs from our head down into our heart and lungs and down into our gut. And the vagus nerve system is strengthened through trust, through safe relationships. And the best way I know to turn on safe relationships is through play. So I feel safer when I play with you because there is less at stake. There is more lightness. The competition is friendly. And if you're on my team, I get this experience of camaraderie with you, of solving a challenge with you. So nothing builds relationships quite like play. And this is why team sports are so important. Um, I grew up playing so many team sports. I was never great at team sports, although I was really great at heckling, I must say. Um, friendly heckling, I was never really insulting to anybody. Um, but I'm extremely competitive. I just love that feeling of all those neurochemicals you get from doing physical activity or even mental activity, if it's a board game, with other people, with a friendly competition against people that I also respect who are also trying to do the same thing against me. Uh, there's nothing that feels quite like that. And when you do that and you have somebody on the same team, you are creating oxytocin. And that is that important, it's called the love chemical, the love neurochemical, but it's also just about human connection and safety and trust. And we know from studies that the most high-performing teams are the ones who can be messy with each other, who feel safe around each other, who laugh and go on tangents with each other. They are the most productive ones, not the serious ones who stay on topic, never go off agenda, never interrupt each other. Those teams are bored and overly safe, and there is not a lot of authenticity going on. And if you don't have authenticity because you don't feel safe, then you are not going to air what needs to be said, and you are not going to resolve those things together because you don't have enough trust. So this requires a sense of lightness, and play can bring lightness. If you have lost your sense of humor, and one of the ways you can tell you have no sense of humor anymore, is that you constantly complain. And you constantly complain 
often about things that are outside your control. I call this being stuck on the island of victimhood. If you are stuck on the island of victimhood and like camping out there, you are not going to like my coaching and you are probably not listening to this podcast, so it's probably irrelevant. You will take offense to things that I say. My two criteria for my clients, in order to work with me, you have to want to grow. You can't be here because somebody made you or because you think you have to. And you can laugh with me because for me, work is play. I, I'm in flow right now, people. I am so in love with what I do. How could I not be? I get to use my strengths. I get to be creative. I get to be innovative. And I get to help people. And I get to connect with people. So it's tapping into everything. The only time I am not in flow is when I'm operating way outside my zone of genius. And sometimes I have to do that. But most often I try and partner with people when I'm outside my zone of genius. That is why I have a bookkeeper. That is why I have an accountant. That is why I have somebody else designing my website. Um, I could probably figure that all out, but it would not feel like play. And my clients deserve me to be in flow, in the zone. So I believe that we all can take life seriously without taking ourselves so seriously which reminds me of an incredible book that I hope you've read. And if you haven't, I'm going to read a passage from you. It's called The Art of Possibility, and it's by Ben Zander and Rosamund Zander. And he is the conductor of the Boston Philharmonic, or was. And he talks about a simple yet powerful rule to deal with any high-stress situation. And he calls it rule number six. And he leads into the rule with a story. And I'm just going to read it straight from the book. Two prime ministers sat in a room discussing affairs. A man interrupts them with fury, shouting, and mayhem. Peter, the resident minister says, remember rule number six. This stops the furious man instantly, and he's replaced with a calm version of himself. Upon returning to the conversation, the two ministers are interrupted yet again, this time It is a hysterical woman. The resident minister repeats himself. Remember rule number six. The woman coolly exits the room, apologizing. The scene is repeated a third time, and the second minister is left confused. He says, I've seen many things in my life, but never anything as remarkable as this. What is the secret of rule number six? He replies, very simple. Rule number six is... Don't take yourself so damn seriously. After pondering, the second minister agrees that it's a fine rule and asks about rules one through five. And the resident minister laughs and says, there aren't any. That's the end of the story. So why do we take ourselves so seriously? Well, it's because of our brains. We want to appear in control both to others and to ourselves, and we have negativity bias. So these situations, we can blow them up. So whatever the degree of severity is, our brain will think it's a big deal. We like to be taken seriously. We like others to respect us. But when we take ourselves too seriously, 
it can actually cause people to view us as self-righteous, and it can cause us to be seen and feel miserable. But when we allow ourselves to just drop the seriousness, we appear human. We invite in humor, humility, and acceptance and perspective. Hopefully you listened to my interview with my friend John Franco about our conversation about, frankly, life and death. And we laughed a lot. And that is how I want to live. There is a lot of serious stuff out there. And sometimes it is really hard to play. I know um, it's hard. I can remember when I have been in my most acute pain. It is really hard to find play. But all the more important to find that perspective, to find that thing that you can be grateful for, and to find something in your environment that you can uh, experience to bring yourself out and experience that lightness. So let's just talk about some of the things in our lives that we have to do that uh, we can inject some play into. So first thing that comes to mind for me is daily commute. Okay, so think about how you experience your daily commute. And you might be thinking, oh, I got this one. I listen to podcasts that I love. I play music that I love. Great. If, however, um, you listen to the news, I'm going to invite you to try something different. Create a Spotify station, a Pandora station. Listen to music that raises your mood. The other day, my daughter and I were commuting to school, and that morning I had woken up with a very severe sore throat. And just after a few minutes of talking, I couldn't talk anymore. So I'm in the car and I'm pointing at my throat when she talks to me, and I can't make a sound. So she goes quiet, and it could have been a very quiet and dull commute. It's about a 15-minute drive. Meanwhile, a song comes on that we both love, and unknowingly, we're both turning it up. She's turning it up on the dial. I'm turning it up on my phone. So the song gets pretty loud, and we both start chair dancing. And the chair dancing kind of raises to the level of the volume of the song, and now I don't know what it looks like from behind, but we are full body dancing. I'm trying to keep my hands on 10 and 2 on the steering wheel like I was taught. Occasionally the right hand comes off and um, I'm doing a whoop whoop up into the ceiling. And then the song stops and we are, we are at the last stoplight. That is how fast the commute went by. And we are both giggling and just feeling so much joy and love. And then I noticed the car in front of us, and I've seen this car before. It's a big white SUV. And this, this person must have some joy in their life and know how to play because they had stickers on their bumper, two little tiny stickers on this big, big car, one on the far left and one on the far right. The far left had a little squatty green dinosaur. And on the far right was a little squatty white unicorn with a rainbow horn. And both of them had little finger guns that were shooting hearts at each other across the car. And above them were the letters B-I-U. And my daughter didn't see it. I saw it first. 
And she sees me, and I'm starting to point finger guns at the car in front of me. And I realize, I say, pew! And I realize, oh, I can talk in my head voice. I just couldn't talk in my normal voice. But once I went into my head voice and my falsetto, my throat worked. So all of a sudden, I'm pointing at the car in front of us going, pew, 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 pew! And then my daughter notices it, and she starts doing it. And then we start finger gunning each other with love bubbles. So that was my commute. And obviously I'm giggling just thinking about it. So uh, I wanted to just walk out and thank that person in the car in front of me for, for that. So, But on your commute, you can wave to people. You can give people a thumbs up. You can let people go in front of you. Try anything you can think of to make your commute more pleasant. Uh, making dinner. Hmm. Again, if you complain about your day while you're making dinner... Or if you remain silent and complain in your head about your day while you're making dinner, um, switch it up. Play music. Music is constantly going in my house. So play music that you love. uh, Share stories with family. um, Ask how their day went and really listen. Find something to be grateful for and talk about that. You can just be grateful for the food you're making. So I remember one dinner uh, when I was growing up, and one of us, I I was in a family with some musicians, and somebody at the table decided to move their finger around the rim of the glass, and it created a tone. And then rather than my parents saying, hey, don't play with your food, or don't play with the the glasses, uh, one of my parents started doing it, and then we all started doing it, and we made a really bad song um, while at the dinner table. So... I don't know what you're going to do, but inject some levity and love into your dinner. Even just running errands. Now, I used to not talk to anybody. I'm pretty introverted, and I used to just keep to myself. Um, As you probably know, because I've told you before, I am a talker to strangers. Nobody is a stranger to me. And so when I'm at Trader Joe's checking out, I will ask somebody about their day, and they will tell me, and we will have a lovely conversation while we're checking out. Um, I will talk to strangers, and um, I even had a woman tuck in my uh, tag the other day in line at the grocery store. So um, everybody's got something going on. Everybody needs to connect. Everybody would enjoy having more enjoyment in these things that we call chores when we can actually be so grateful that we have groceries in a store that we can go and just collect instead of having to grow them ourselves. You can get down and pet dogs that are tied up outside the grocery store. Um, You can get down to the dog's level, really kneel down there and play with them. And if it's your own dog, you can roll around on the ground with them. Your dog will be very, very happy that you did that and you'll feel better. And then with exercise, you know, do whatever you can to make exercise fun. Uh, I listen to dance music when I exercise. So even if I'm on an elliptical trainer, I am dancing. Um, I listen to salsa music while I hike, Latin music, salsa music. And um, sometimes I actually dance salsa on the hike. I'll do a little turn. Um, Nobody minds. I don't know if they mind. I don't really care because I'm not taking myself very seriously. So, but let's talk about work. Those are outside work examples, I know. But you have to bring play into work. If you are 
in the role of planning an offsite, please do not do the dreaded PowerPoint all day meeting. I think I've told you about my overwhelm workshop. Now, this was a very intense workshop. People came to this totally burned out. And I intentionally created activities that would create the right kinds of neurotransmitters that they needed to lift themselves out of that place. And one of the things we did, and you can do this too, is have a flip chart up and have people just record songs that they love, songs that when they hear it makes them happy, and you can be making a playlist as the day goes on. And at breaks, you can play that music, and you re when you return from breaks, you can even play a really great uplifting song and have people move to it. I'm going to say move and not dance because not everybody likes to dance. But I just remember one of my favorite moments of that event was when we put on a Missy Elliott song after a break. And um, it was kind of, uh, well, it was kind of a religious experience. It was amazing. So that allowed us to talk about anything. And that's what I love to do. I love to help people follow rule number six so that we can talk about anything and find levity in anything. And you might remember my story of the woman who did a steer thought upgrade. Like everybody else, she went and did the assignment and she brainstormed all the painful thoughts she was having about a current situation. And then she made an attempt at upgrading it, um, but really I left that uh, for me because that's hard to do on your own. And she traced the action she was taking as a result of that painful thought. So when it came time to debrief, this self-described introvert stood up in front of 50 people and said that her situation was she'd just turned 40 and was recently divorced. Okay, you can see how that would create pain for somebody. And so I asked her what was the most painful thought she'd had. And I wanna tell you that she said this with a smile because she was on to this exercise and she was so proud of herself for finding the most painful thought. She was literally experiencing pride as she told me, my most painful thought is I'm going to die alone. And I think mouths just dropped open in the room. And then she, and I, she looked at me with a twinkle in her eye and I looked back at her and smiled and we both just started giggling. I said, you are really good at this. She said, I know. <laughs> and we upgraded that thought. She was fine. She was fine. Uh, she was just so happy to uncover it and know that she was going to upgrade it. But that is what our brain does. Our brain is so good at finding painful thoughts. And then she was just able to see the absurdity of being 40 years old and thinking about never finding somebody in the next however many years she was going to live. I mean, it was really extraordinarily silly that she had to think that over and over and over. It was doing her no good, and so she was laughing at her brain's ancient tendency to uh, keep her safe. And in that case, why is the brain doing that? Well, our brain, are wa brain is wired to connect, mate, procreate. So her brain was like, go do this. Go find the next person you can find. And she knew that that was not the right answer. She knew it was time for her to take care of her. And she knew that she was going to have freedom. And that's why she was so playful in that moment. 
But there was somebody in that room who was not ready to follow rule number six. And he was in tremendous pain. And I hated that I left that workshop without helping him uh, let go of that pain. So if you find yourself on the island of victimhood, please make it temporary. Please plan on getting a boat out of there and finding the absurdity that our brain will go to, the absurd lengths that our brain will go to to hold on to a negative thought. And then find help to brainstorm your way out of it and get on that boat away from victimhood into self-agency and self-control. So I have good news. Even if you don't have me doing your offsite, you don't have to figure this out on your own. Um, one of my secrets when I was in corporate America and had to do offsites was the big book of training games by Donnie Tamblin. It is still available on Amazon, and now there are so many other versions of it. There's a big book of games for creativity, conflict resolution, presentation skills, people skills, cross-cultural communications, building trust, and you can gamify nearly any situation. And when people can talk about really tough things through games, then they can talk about anything, and they can solve anything. I remember once um, I handed out little red flags. Now, I had a willing leader, a leader who was willing to say, mea culpa, I do this, and I need your help calling me out when I do this. And during the event, I gave permission, and he gave permission for people to wave a little red flag every time he did this behavior. And it just made things hilarious. And, uh, and it helped him. And it helped bring some absurdity to a situation that was stressful for people, but wasn't as stressful as it needed to be. I mean, it wasn't, it, you know, it was causing stress, but really, you could look at it in a very funny way. So I highly encourage you to leverage those. And then uh, in meetings, what mini activities can you do in meetings, whether it's a little icebreaker, a yoga stretch? I always like to check in with um, what's the one thing that can distract you? And oh, by the way, man, you find out some really good information. And you can find out that somebody is stressed about something at home that has nothing to do with the workplace. And you would have made all these wrong assumptions about this person because of the way they were showing up. I had somebody just last week in my group who had something really challenging going on with a child. And I was able to offer a resource, a health resource. But if he hadn't told us, uh, he would have just suffered in silence and nobody would have known why he was so quiet. So of course you can bring snacks to meetings. I recommend uh, healthy snacks, dark chocolate. It has just a tiny bit of sugar and it has a tiny bit of caffeine and it's really delicious. Um, you can play music. You can uh, learn about each other with open-ended questions, little games about where, um, where you pick a question out of a hat and answer it, um, or you pick a question off the table and try, or an answer off the table and try and figure out who it is in the room and guess. You can have buzzwords you're not allowed to say, so corporate buzzwords that you're not allowed to say, and maybe a little buzzer or red flag. You can take your meetings outside. You can just inject some levity, and laughter into your meeting, as long as you're not laughing at people, but laughing at yourself, laughing at situations, laughing at something that happened, laughing about an experience, and as long as the boss is not laughing at people. But if the boss allows people to laugh at her, 
then that's an awesome way to bring levity into a meeting. So another client this week was so stressed out and was burning out because she felt so responsible for her team and they were so frustrated by the lack of direction and decision-making from leadership. They were basically just spinning. They were just sitting around doing nothing, which is the opposite of flow. It's boredom, and boredom can be hell, and that's where they were. So she was taking risks and creating her own processes and letting leadership know that they were going to start working, and um, she got permission to do that. And then we started brainstorming. What can you do to help these people get out of this environment? What can you do that is playful to get them feeling serotonin, feeling oxytocin, feeling dopamine, instead of all this cortisol, all this frustration that's running through their system? And she brainstormed and she thought hard about her team. And at first she said, well, we'll just have a lunch. And I'm like, really? You're just going to do a lunch? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's nice. And then she decided, I know what they would love. And I know of a place that's not far. And it won't require a lot of money and a lot of travel time. So she's going to take him to an escape room. <laughs> I said, okay, me personally, um, that would drive me nuts. Uh, she said, well, I'm going to let them decide what kind of safe room. We'll do one that's fun. And I said, well, you know, it's not an unlike metaphor from where you are right now. So if you guys can escape that, then maybe you have a common language for how to escape the room that you're in at work. So we'll see how that goes. But it's got to be better than just having a lunch. And it's got to be better than sitting around doing nothing. And they will have a shared experience. So your assignment is not to go to uh, an escape room. But it is go do something fun. Watch a YouTube video or read something funny. Gosh, growing up, and he still cracks me up, is old Steve Martin and new Steve Martin. His New Yorker collection in a book called Pure Drivel. Um, I still belly laugh when I read it. So get a good belly laugh or, or at least a giggle. Go out in the hallway and have a chat with somebody and just raise your level of oxytocin. Get outside, take a walk, savor the sunshine, if you have sunshine, listen to the birds, pet a cat, pet a dog, talk to a stranger, or just put on some music and dance. Because I want you to feel better because you deserve it, my friend. All right, you can get more ideas and activities and courses on my website, of course, at work-lifebrilliance.com and please feel free to send me a note about anything that you have discovered that will help others embrace the joy and the benefits of play. Thanks for listening to Work Life Brilliance. If you want to be coached by Denise, join her in the Work Life Brilliance Academy where wholehearted humans are becoming the best version of themselves. Accepting applications now at wlbacademy.com.